0: Welcome to Zero Down from the Economics Department of Miranda House. Today we will be talking about economic voting and its relevance for the 2020 presidential elections. One significant thing to note about these elections was that it was a much closer contest than many pollsters and experts had predicted. That reflected the reality of what is politically an extremely divided country. It also reflected sharp divisions of opinion over the US economy. As stated in Tapti's Political Control of the Economy, when you think economics, think elections. When you think elections, think
1: economics. As Shriyam iterates, voter behavior is often influenced by economic conditions of the country at the time of election. Good times keep parties in office, bad times cast them out. There are several categories to this. Pocketbook voting, which is based on individual concerns, versus sociotropic voting based on economy at large, as well as retrospective voting based on previous economic trends versus prospective voting based on future economic trends. Taking
0: Ananya's point further, one of the most robust findings over the last 50 years in research on elections has been the importance of macroeconomic conditions on voting in US presidential elections. Numerous studies have shown that aggregate rates of changes in unemployment, personal income, and inflation have a large effect on the vote for the incumbent. The first breakthrough happened when Weatherford disaggregated the 1960 US presidential election based on class. While all respondents were less likely to vote for the incumbent if they felt the economy was doing poorly, the standardized coefficient for economic perceptions was twice as large. For working class respondents as for middle class respondents. Weatherford thus concluded that working class respondents were more politically reactive compared to, to economic
1: events. This can definitely be seen in the different types of economic voting. Sociotropic economic voting is the idea that voters use macroeconomic indicators when economic voting takes place. In this theory, the most important thing is what is happening to the country as a whole and not what is happening to them personally. Conversely, checkbook economic voting is the theory that voters look at their own economic standing and evaluate the government based on that. Macroeconomic indicators and what is happening to the country as a whole are secondary to what is taking place personally.
0: To illustrate these concepts, we can look at a case study which talks about how conditions of the economy changes voting patterns. Greece has economic voting that is most like sociotropic economic voting, while Germany has economic voting that more closely resembles checkbook economic voting. The reason for this is essentially the fact that Greece is a country that has suffered mightily through the European debt crisis. The country has changed the party in power during every election, and severe measures have been enacted to bring the death of the country back into check. Germany, on the other hand, has remained stable throughout the debt crisis and came to a position where it has bailed out countries like this.
1: In fact, there is something called a myopic voter also. Most scholars of the economy and the vote assume that voters are myopic and focus only on events during the election year. Some take an alternative view and posit that the voters are more farsighted and take into account earlier information. But the question is who is right? If the economy does do well in the voting year, the current president tends to be re elected. If it does not, the challenger is elected to the position. This happens regardless of the economic conditions in the previous years, in which the elections were not conducted. And can be seen throughout election history. This is known as substituting the end for a whole, when you substitute the end result of the economy for the whole tenure of the president's economic impact.
0: Let's think about it like this.
1: Instead of hitting
0: in 2008, if the financial crisis had hit in 2009, after the presidential election, John McCain may have been elected rather than Barack Obama you can conduct a similar thought experiment for many elections. Jimmy Carter experienced a short but severe recession in 1980. If the recession had come a year earlier or a year later, Ronald Reagan may have never become president. If the severe 1981-82 recession had occurred two years later, Walter Mundale would likely have defeated Reagan in
1: 1984 rather than losing in a landslide. To support Shriyam's point, let's talk about the research project titled Retrospective vs. Prospective Statements and Outcome of Presidential Elections. This investigated retrospective and prospective voting from a communication perspective, looking to see whether there is a relationship between election outcome and the relative emphasis U.S. presidential candidates placed on retrospective versus prospective utterances in campaign messages. The research project found that in the primary phase of the campaign that's right in the beginning, there is absolutely no difference between winners and losers in relative emphasis on retrospective and prospective statements. However, in the general phase of the presidential campaign, winners use a significantly larger proportion of retrospective and a smaller proportion of prospective utterances than losers.
0: Furthermore, as Ananya said, the relationship between emphasis on retrospective utterances and election outcome was larger for incumbents than challengers, but significant for both types of candidates. These findings support retrospective voting in the general, but not the primary phase of the campaign. Taking an example of Norwegia here and quoting a survey result that says, while Norwegian citizens believe voters cast their vote, On the basis of both previous actions and the political plans for the future, a majority of Norwegian representatives consider voting to be retrospective only. This goes on to conclude, in representative democracies, citizens ideally hold the government accountable for its actions. With the power to punish or reward parties at elections, voters express their preferences and force political elites to perform in line
1: with these. Let's talk about the most coveted case study for economic voting analysis, the US presidential elections of 2020, which explores the impact of economic voting. Back in August, the nonpartisan Pew Research Center released a study that found 79% of the registered voters saying the economy would be very important to them in the election that was a higher percentage than any other single issue and comfortably ahead of key issues such as healthcare, the coronavirus pandemic, and even violent crime. Three months later, a CNN exit poll on election day revealed a similar picture. More than one in three US voters polled after they voted said the economy was the most critical issue for them in deciding who to vote for. Yet here comes a very, very revealing differential. Just 1 in 10 Joe Biden voters said the economy was the main reason they voted for him, whereas the figure for Trump was 6 in 10.
0: Moreover, when it came to the economy, Trump and Biden had quite contrasting recovery views. As we know, the US unemployment rate had dropped to 7.9% in early October. According to the country's Labour Department, employers added just 661,000 jobs in September, down from 1.5 million in August and 1.8 million in July. These are employment numbers for the worst job losses that any American president had faced in an election since the Second World War. From the beginning of his presidency, President Trump had touted the US economy in various speeches and tweets and on the campaign trail As well, he continued to talk about a V-shaped recovery in the economy. The U.S. economy showed signs of a significant slowdown, with experts saying that the recovery is reaching a plateau. Monthly job gains, consumer spending, and factory output were decreasing overall. Experts believe that the initial expectation of a V-shaped recovery was far-fetched for now, as its rate is very slow. The economy had gone from President Donald Trump's greatest political asset to perhaps his biggest weakness. The model that used unemployment, disposable income, and inflation to forecast election results predicted that Trump will lose in a landslide, capturing just 35% of the popular vote. That's a sharp reversal from the model's pre-crisis prediction that Trump would win about 55% of the vote and it would be the worst performance for an incumbent in a century. Oxford Economics wrote in the report, adding that the economy will be a nearly insurmountable
1: obstacle for Trump come November. Contrary to this, we of course talk about Joe Biden. He is continuously and was continuously talking about the impact of unemployment on poor Americans and was focusing on increasing the existing social programs as a solution to the economic slowdown. His strategy to improve the economy is through the Build Back Better plan, focused on the New Deal, which promises to create clean jobs via infrastructure and clean energy improvements. It is proven that economy is definitely a major issue for the 2020 presidential election, and the contrasting positions of the presidential candidates are of interest to the voters, which is exactly why Biden had continued to target President Trump on the economy and succeeded. In 1992, campaign strategist James Carwell coined the phrase it's the economy stupid and this shaped Bill Clinton's victory in the elections. Carwell was a strategist in Bill Clinton's successful presidential campaign against incumbent George Bush. His phrase is directed at the campaign's workers and intended as one of the three messages for them to focus on. Thus, the economy is imperative for decision.
0: Finally, a review of the evidence shows that economic voting does occur. Although the effects of economic voting are not as strong and as closely related to other factors such as party IDs and policy preferences, Citizens tend to make decisions based on a retrospective and prospective analysis of the candidates. Yet both of these evaluations are dependent upon each other. As seen with Bill Clinton's two victories, retrospective and prospective voting are very closely intertwined.
1: Concluding Shriyam and my point, people vote according to what will help the nation's overall economic situation, but with the hopes That this will improve their personal finances. Rarely is it that a person votes in order to place national welfare over his or her own. Thus, economic voting is present in modern United States elections. As the economy rightly points out, voters care less than they used to about the economy's immediate impact on their wallets, but they care more than ever about how the economy shapes their identity their sense of security and their freedom.